0: Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Today, let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 27, verses 13 through 38. And I'll read the last five verses for us now as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone as he closes out our sermon series titled The Chosen Instrument of Jesus' Church. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread. And giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship.
1: This past week, I was, I was speaking to a group of ministry leaders and I was sharing with them on a common theme among people in ministry these days and in many, uh, in many different professions, which is burnout. And I tried to encourage them, and I brought them some of what we had talked about when we studied the exile. And I said, to be in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar is not to be out of the hand of Yahweh. There was a woman sitting in the front row, and when I said that, she began to cry. And at the break, she came up to me and said, you couldn't have known, but I'm going through something with my eight-year-old. And I needed to hear that. I can't know what it is you are going through this morning. But I do know this. Discipleship always includes suffering. We started our sermon series looking at Acts chapter 9 and the conversion of the Apostle Paul. A conversion that led to a calling that Ananias was asked by God to deliver to Paul. The calling is found in Acts 9, 15 to 16. But the Lord said to him, "'Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel.'" For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. In this series, we've seen Paul, uh, we've seen God lead Paul to fulfill this calling when he preached to Gentiles at Athens. Men of Athens, I see in every way you are very religious, Paul began as he then went on to announce the gospel to them. We saw God lead Paul to fulfill this calling when he preached to the children of Israel as he was being arrested in Jerusalem. He said, brothers and fathers, speaking to them in their own native tongue. And then we saw Paul have what could only have been a God-ordained opportunity to preach to two kings, King Agrippa and Festus, when he was on trial before them and it would be very tempting to stop this series right there we saw paul preach to gentiles we saw paul preach to jews we saw paul preach to kings that should be a nice package for a sermon series there's a interesting quote you can find uh, you can find little markers pointing to the gospel in the uh, strangest places. It's an interesting quote from Alfred, Batman's butler. Alfred, in The Dark Knight Returns, he says this, maybe it's time we all stop trying to outsmart the truth and let it have its day. You see, if we are to let the truth have its day, We have to follow God's word and all of Paul's calling. That Paul was to carry the name of Jesus before Gentiles, Jews, kings, and to suffer. And this is a truth that many of Jesus' followers spend their whole lives trying to outsmart. They try to outsmart the truth that discipleship always includes suffering. Notice when God was revealing Paul's calling to Ananias, he says, I will show him how he must suffer. He doesn't say, I will show him if he goes off track or if he does the wrong thing, I will show him how much he must suffer then. He says, no, he's to carry my name before Jews, Gentiles, kings, And he must suffer. It's part of the discipleship process. Look at verses 13 to 15 of our passage. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. This sounds like a description of many people's Christian lives. It starts off saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. And, and we walk an aisle or we, we pray a prayer or a friend helps us. Know what what it looks like to confess our sins, and we confess our sins, and we we experience the joy of of new life in Christ. Only to, several months or years later, bump into some northeaster in our lives, some wind that blows down across the land. And we struggle. It says they turned, they tried to sail into the wind. But when they, they could not, they lowered the sails and they were just driven along in the sea. Does that sound familiar to your life? It certainly is familiar to me in my life. And so often we ask the question why? Why does discipleship always include suffering? And while I can't go into the specifics of the why on your situation, this side of heaven, there are some general principles that God's word teaches us about the why that I believe help us process what God is doing and will help us be more faithful in the midst of whatever circumstances he has us To endure. Why does discipleship always include suffering? Suffering reminds us we need a Savior and refines us to be like the Savior. Suffering always reminds us that we need a Savior and it will refine us to be like the Savior. I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. There's a lot of technical sailing terms in here. Some commentators say this is one of the, the greatest uh, sources of information we have about ancient sailing technique. You see the first person pronoun, the, the, we is used. Uh, Luke keeps saying, Luke, the author of the book of Acts is saying, we saw this, we did that, because he is there on the boat observing everything that is going on. But because it's so technical, it can be hard to just hear the story. So let me read it again from the New Living Translation, verses 16 through 20. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cauda where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They took ropes, they threw them over the front of the boat, and then they, they tied it up, sort of just tying a bow around the boat to try to hold the wood together that would have been nailed together, not with steel nails, but with wooden, wooden pegs. So they, they tie the boat up together. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast. So they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven along before the wind. They dropped the anchor and the wind is so strong, their boat just continues to drift across the sea, even with the anchor down. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, The crew began throwing cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and stars until at last all hope was gone. Now as I read that, I want you to notice all the tactics they used to try to save themselves. They bring in the lifeboat. We can't, the lifeboat. We can't have anything miscellaneous towing behind us. The wind could blow it into the back of the ship and could damage the ship in that way. So we've got to bring in the lifeboat. They tie the hull together, as I mentioned earlier. They lower the anchor to slow the ship down. They lightened the ship by dumping the cargo. That would make it, if they do hit these sandbars off the African coast, the ship would have an easier time getting over the sandbars with a lighter load. And yet with all of the methods they used to try to save themselves, none of it worked. All hope was gone. I love the way the ESV translation puts it in verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay upon us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Their best efforts could not save them. They are reminded we need a savior We do the same kinds of things in the midst of our own storms. We say, I'll just work harder. I'll make a little bit more money. I'll hustle a little more, and then I'll be able to solve all my problems. I'll buy more insurance. I'll eat better. I'll exercise more. I'll be nicer. I'll say I won't do that again. I promise this time I'll spend more time with my spouse my kids. Matthew 4.16 is a great challenge to all of our efforts to self-save. In Matthew 4.16, we read these words. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Matthew is quoting from Isaiah here. He helps us see that light dawns on people. The people do not make a successful search for the light on their own. The people do not turn inward as our culture so often instructs us to do and find the light hidden somewhere in the rubble of our souls. Our culture says, just look inward. Be true to who? Be true to yourself. Turn inward, find your own identity The gospel says our identity is bestowed on us from the outside. We do not find it on the inside. The light does not break out from within no matter how much inner spring cleaning of our hearts we undertake. The light must dawn. The light is something that happens to us. It does not come from within us. In the darkness of our suffering, our inability to, rem- to find the light reminds us we need a Savior. In Christ, God finds us. And then, when we know we have a Savior, he uses that same suffering to refine us to be like the Savior. Look at verses 21 through 26 of our passage. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship In the midst of 276 people on the ship, there's only one person that the storm did not break. And it was the Apostle Paul. In the face of monumental suffering, Paul is at prayer. And in prayer, God revealed his plan to save the lives of everyone on the ship. And though all will be saved... It's important to note their rescue will not be painless. The ship will be destroyed. And God assures Paul that he will face trial before Caesar. And God does not assure Paul of the outcome of that trial. A trial that could still lead to Paul's death. We can all imagine that Paul was most likely praying for a more pain-free and long-lasting rescue. But note again Paul's response in verse 25. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul's prayer leads him to trust God's slow, painful, and difficult plan. It sounds a lot like Jesus's words. Not what I will, but as you will. Paul sounds and acts a lot like Jesus. You see this wasn't Paul's first brush with suffering. In fact, this wasn't even Paul's first shipwreck. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 24 to 28. All of the ways That God reminded Paul he needed a savior and then refined him to be like the savior. So when this storm comes, 276 people, he's the only one the storm does not break. Look at these words in 2 Corinthians with me. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Do you get the theme? In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. See, Paul did carry Jesus' name before Gentiles. Paul did carry Jesus' name before the children of Israel. And Paul did carry Jesus' name before kings. And in doing so, he suffered for Jesus' name. And in doing so, had his character refined to be more like Jesus. This is how Paul can hear from God the ship will be destroyed. You will stand trial and yet still refuse to join with those who say all our hope of being saved was at last abandoned. He would not say that. Paul's character had been refined. He knew that discipleship always includes suffering. Read a book recently called Christianity's Surprise. It talked about this pattern at the heart of Christian life. The author wrote this. There is no place in human existence where crucifixion does not apply and no place where resurrection is not possible. That is the faith that we must have if we are to endure the suffering that inevitably comes with discipleship. There is no place in human existence where we do not face toil and trial and pain. There's no place where crucifixion does not apply. And yet the hope is sure because there is no place in human existence where resurrection is not possible. Our suffering reminds us that we need a savior and refines us to be like the savior Several years ago, I was having lunch with my dad. I had actually called him to see if he would have lunch with me because I was going through some serious suffering in my life. I was entering the third decade of my time here on earth, and I was involved in several relational breakdowns that led to great pain, personally and professionally. And I wanted to ask someone older and wiser for some advice at this moment. So I sat there at lunch and I poured out my heart. I said everything that happened. I talked about how much pain I was in, the difficulty of the situation. And I said, so what should I do? What do you think? My dad leaned back. And I will never forget what he said to me. He said i always wondered when something like this was going to happen to you he didn't say i can't believe it this is so shocking he didn't say wow you should really get out of there that really sounds painful you want to avoid that pain travis he just sat back said you've had a pretty good life son I've always wondered when something like this was going to happen to you. It's hard to imagine saying that to my daughters one day. But wise people know discipleship always involves suffering. And so whatever it is that you face today that I don't know about, but you do, and Jesus does, remember this truth. We all need a savior. We all need a savior. You're not going to save your marriage with your own effort. You're not going to be able to repair that relationship with your child and your own strength. You're not going to be able to forgive that person apart from a deep encounter with your own need for forgiveness. You're not going to be able to heal yourself with positive thinking. And no one enters eternal life with a holy God on the basis of their own righteous works. This is why we have this stained glass window that Sits behind us and sits behind me in the worship room. I am the vine; you are the branches. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Our previous pastor, Bill Warwick, used to say that is the backbone of all theology. It's the spinal column on which everything else comes off and works. As you see the passage, their rescue begins when they throw the wheat into the sea. Their rescue begins when, a little later in the story, they cut loose the anchors. They take the rope off the rudder and stop trying to steer. That's when their rescue really begins. So it's all just ask what part of your self saving project? Will you cut free today? And also, let me remind all of us, the result of whatever you're going through will be refined character. The ship may be destroyed. Your body may not be healed. You may have to stand trial and be held accountable for your actions You may have to sit at the banquet table of your own consequences. But whatever the physical or practical consequences of your suffering, know this. Spiritually, your faith is being refined. And the Bible says, this is more precious than gold. Pray for the spiritual eyes to see the impurities in your life fade away and to see the godliness begin to shine through. As the great hymn, How Firm a Foundation, puts it. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume, thy gold to refine. And so they cut the anchor loose. They untie the rudder. And the wind begins, and they hoist up the sail and allow the wind to begin to blow them toward this sandy beach that they see they hit a sandbar on the way to the beach and the waves are breaking against the back of the boat so that the boat is literally being consumed behind them. As they begin to to move to the front of the ship, some of the the prisoners try to jump in that lifeboat that they had hoisted into the ship because the boat is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And Paul says, we need all of the sailors if all are to survive, if we're to receive God's promise. And so the centurions cut loose the lifeboat as well. And there they are as the boat is getting smaller and smaller. Paul says, swim or grab a plank if you can't swim. And they do that and all 276 persons reach the shore safely when they're on the shore they begin to light a fire and try to cook some food and out of the the kindling that they've gathered a snake jumps out and bites Paul on the arm the suffering continues everyone thinks Paul's going to die from this poisonous snake bite and when he doesn't die they, they see that maybe he has some kind of special connection to God and so the islanders bring them to the chief man of the island who's laying sick. His name is Publius. Again, Luke has this great firsthand account. Paul lays hands on him, prays for him, and he is healed. And in Publius' his great gratitude for this man named Paul, he arranges for another ship that carries him to Rome where he is under house arrest, waiting trial for C- with Caesar and we see at the end of the book of Acts, he's arrested and yet people are coming to see him under house arrest and he's preaching the gospel freely to anyone who would come and talk to him. It's an amazing story. of Suffering, reminding us that we need a savior, refining us to be like the savior and then our suffering reveals the Savior. It reveals the Savior. As Paul is able to stand there and say, I have been through all of this, and yet I stand here to proclaim the truth that while Jesus was crucified, he was indeed raised from the dead. I proclaim the truth that though I was shipwrecked at sea, my hope lies not in this life, but beyond in the resurrection that I will share with Christ, his suffering allows him to reveal the Savior to all who would come and speak with him. And so we come to the table where we remember Jesus' body given for us, crucified. Jesus' blood shed for us with nails driven through his hands and feet and ultimately raised from the dead to new life, so that no matter what we face in this world, our suffering can only remind us that we need a Savior, refine us to be like the Savior, and to reveal the Savior living in us to others.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, We're excited to help you connect to Christ and His community. Have a blessed day.